NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. Alright guys, let's welcome Craig Owens of Drugs to the Talk To Me podcast here, NotFest.com. New album, Destroy, Rebuild is already out, and you should already have it. So uh, Craig, how are we doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Cool. Uh, well, I mean, just dive into it, man. Uh, what what took so long between Drugs albums? Because that debut album was, was a masterpiece, and the new one's great too, and then there's, you know, 11-year gap in between. I appreciate that. Um, I think my willingness to just do it. You know, I went back to Chiodos for an album, and rock music really just didn't interest me for a few years, to be honest. Um, and then I kind of just healed, I guess, for lack of a better word. And uh, it just, um, you know, it was just time to do it. You know, drugs was always the plan in terms of something that I wanted to continue doing for the rest of my career you know, um, and I think I just got interested in, in making the music again, to be honest. Is, is drugs just a kind of a place, a placeholder for that, that side of you to be heavy? I mean, because, I mean, I think at this point you could just go out as Craig Owens and do heavy stuff, light stuff, piano stuff. You could do anything under that, under that name. So, so is drugs just kind of a, a nice way to just put that heavy side of you out? I mean, it's definitely my rock outlet. Like any time I drop some rock stuff, it will be drugs. Um, <laughs> that's just, you know, what the, what the plan has always been. Drugs is a few things. It's based on songwriting first and foremost. It's a great song with heavy, low, aggressive tuning, some uh, Harry Potter-esque Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas type production. And, and that's what drugs is, you know? So, um, First and foremost, it's great songs, but it's definitely uh, designed around rock music. Kind of going back just to the history of drugs. Obviously, you know, Chiodos, you leave Chiodos, however that 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 you know uh, happened at the time. Uh, talk about the original incarnation of drugs and just kind of how all of that came together. Because at the time, it was kind of a kind of like a screamo supergroup, if you if you will. Sure, that's how it was marketed. Um, it started out as a producer and I working together, writing songs, and uh, we kind of put everybody together to just be live touring members. Um, some of those guys played on the record. Some of them helped write on the original one. Um, but I was always kind of the only one signed. I was always the only one, you know, it was my thing, right. I guess. You know, after splitting with Chiodos and doing that for so long, I wanted to make sure that I – could have a project that was mine forever, you know, and, you know, obviously I came back to Chiodos. It's a whole nother thing. Um, but, you know, that was always the goal of drugs and that's always been the goal of drugs. I'm still to this day, you know, the only one signed and I just get live touring members to come and travel with me and legends that I think should be playing rock music still. Um, and I try to give them an opportunity to come on the road and kind of show what it is that they do. But, 
Um, the first incarnation of drugs, those guys, some of them played on the record. Um, on, on this last incarnation of drugs, uh, none of my live touring members played on the record. Um, so that's kind of what, what drugs is. Now, when I recently saw you at Louder Than Life, you thanked the guitar player and the drummer for kind of bailing you out last minute. How how quickly were they in the band and playing those songs? Well, Mitch um, actually wrote a lot of the last record with me, um, Mitch from Varials. And, but Mitch and James stepped up, I think, like a week and a half before. Wow. Um, but it was really special for me because – Mitch hadn't had an opportunity. We hadn't like shared the stage in that kind of setting. He'd done some, I did a few solo tours once COVID opened up because I was eager to just get in a room full of people again. But um, that was the first time we got to play some of those songs that we spent so much time working on uh, together live. Um, so yeah, it was just cool, but it was about a week and a half. Wow. I mean, and and this isn't like, four four straight ahead you know verse chorus verse chorus rock music i mean this is like you've you've, you've got to have some talent to pull it off so kudos to those guys absolutely uh both of them are extremely talented musicians yeah you've had you've had kind of a, a a fun career to watch i don't know how it is to be craig owens but i know to watch craig owens is 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 crazy to watch because you'll do things you know, you, you'll go from, from Chiodos to drugs back to Chiodos and doing all the, all the side projects, but then you'll just post that you're going to go to a park and play acoustic guitar and people will show up. It's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, special place that you, I guess, have with the fans. Yeah. I just love music. I create in, I, I create to not die. You know, it's, it's, it's the raging against death. That's, that's, a, I, I'm a creator. Like I love to create, I love to write music. Um, I'm not so much about a brand. I'm not so much about um, all of these kind of homogenized versions of, of what the creation turns into. For me, it's about making music and um, the connection, you know, yeah, and uh, let's kind of dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind. I mean, where, where, when did you start kind of realizing that that music was going to be something you wanted to do? What was kind of those first bands and and that made you want to sing? I think in like, I was in like middle school, and teacher pulled me aside. I think we were required to do choir, and um, teacher pulled me aside and said, "You should sing. You're good at it." And I said, "Absolutely not. I want to play sports." <laughs> I don't want to be a choir geek. Don't do this to me. This is not the path I want. And I had to do, you had to do like a semester of it anyway. So I did showed up and um, the very first concert got my first solo and just felt the air leave the room. And that was when I knew that it was something more than me, something special and something that if I ignored, um, you know, I would regret. So uh, that was pretty much the opening. And I, I don't think I ever looked back to be honest. Um, the moment I felt that the air leave that room, I can remember it now. And, uh, it, uh, that was it, you know, I, and then I went on to do, uh, classical training and musicals and things like that. Um, because, you know, it, I hadn't heard of punk rock yet. I hadn't heard of rock music really, you know, I'd listened to it casually, but I didn't realize that it was something, you know, that I could do. And the moment I kind of found some of those bands um, and that kind of lane, 
it, I, you know, I started Chiodos at 15 and it just, that was it. Did, did you know you could sing before the choir thing? Was it something you sang around the house and your parents were, were kind of, you know, turning and saying, wow, he can really sing or anything like that? Or was it truly the, the, the choir teacher? It was really the choir teacher. I, I was always known for whistling around the house. So I think <laughs> I've always had like an affinity for melodies, but it right. would always piss everybody off. Um, you know, I would get yelled at by my parents, like stop whistling. It's annoying kind of thing. But little did I know about it. I was like carving out melodies and really understanding tones and the separation between. And uh, so it was, it was, it was a big deal for me, but it, it wasn't something that's really in my family. It wasn't something that any of us thought about. And um, to be honest, until I proved myself, I don't think anybody really thought I had a chance until, until I made it one, you know? With your voice too, you know, you sing so high, you know, and obviously as a kid, when you're 15, 16, 17, you're not thinking about your thirties and forties. And, and when I saw you live, you know, at, at louder than life, I mean, you still, you still got the pipes, you know, you still haven't, you know, you know, uh, you know, ruined your voice or anything like that. Were, were you ever conscious of that or were you just going for it, you know, your whole life and you'll just kind of deal with it when you get there? You know, I started out as a bass in choir, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Um, and then the next year I jumped up to tenor one, which is like the opposite spectrum. And I think that really kind of blew a lot of people away. And I just was doing what was comfortable for me. Um, as time went on, I became aware of it and I started working towards it. You know, I think now I sound better than I ever have, uh, which is kind of a miracle to be doing it for as long as I have 15 years, a, a professional musician, you know, and, to be able to, well, okay, longer than that, I guess now, I, time, stupid. Um, <laughs> time is stupid. But I, yes. I, you know, I did that for so long, screaming, singing high, always pushing my voice to the max. And I've been blessed to not have any vocal nodes or issues or anything like that. I don't know if it came from classical training or if it came from knowing when to pull off when I need to or what, but um, my range keeps expanding, you know, on this newest drugs record, I hit some of the highest notes that I've ever hit and, um, my screams keep getting better. So I'm just going to keep pushing it until, until it blows out on me. Really? That's the plan. What do you, what do you think it was with Chiodos that, that it's kind of been the, the detriment to the band, you know, because obviously first couple albums come out and I, and I spoke to you at louder than life with the, you know, bone palace ballet is, is an absolute masterpiece of a record, but it just seems like there's always like turmoil or, you know, members leaving members coming back. There, there's just not a consistency there that I, I think that, that maybe some bands need to have to, uh, to kind of make it, uh, you know, a, a longer lasting thing. So what do you, what was it with the band? Was it just, five dudes that just meshed all the time or just didn't, you know, get along or what happened? Well, there's six, six so that's true. a lot. And, <laughs> you know, I think that there's these like unrealistic expectations when it comes to that stuff. And, um, I don't think that there was one thing necessarily. I think that when you are in your early twenties and you're running a million dollar business with your friends Mm -hmm. that you don't really know what you're doing and that outside influence can really affect it quite a bit. Um, 
but I don't think that there's one thing, you know, with the Chiodos guys, um, in, you know, in particular, there's just different needs and wants. And, you know, every member super important, but when it comes down to the sound of what Chiodos was, a lot of it was reliant on myself, the lead guitar player, Jason, and the keyboard player, Brad. And, you know, if any one of us was missing from the equation, you could kind of recognize it. Brad now, you know, is married and has two kids, doesn't really have an interest in doing it that way. Um, and Jason, it was a same thing. He got married and kind of just fell out of his love for music. So I don't think it's necessarily turmoil as much it is as growth. Um, you know, and then you have me on the other end who is, who has completely dedicated their life to music. Um, I eat, breathe, sleep it sometimes as a, you know, to a detriment of even relationships around me, in, including band members, you know, the song comes first for me and it means so much to me. So I chase it, you know, and I think that that has the most to do with, you know, the, the current state of Chiodos um, not being active, with the married life, I mean, obviously I'm older now and I've been in bands my whole life, things like that. And I understand all of that. I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to just be married, have kids and then all then go away and play rock star and then come back and be family, man. Um, is, is there that possible? Are, are you guys still kind of in the same general area or the, you know, to, to get, you know, to do shows occasionally, anything like that, or is that even stuff talked about? Yeah, we get offers all the time. Um, everybody's open to it. I think the hardest one to get to agree to it is Jason, the guitar player. Um, you know, not to put him out or anything. Um, <laughs> it's all Jason's fault. But it, I wouldn't say it's Jason's fault because I don't know if I would agree to do it, to be honest. Right. But it's just got to make sense for all of us. You know, everybody has their different reasons for why they would want to do it. Um you know, it, it's not a money thing for any of us. None of us, it, it's six people and we split it evenly. You really have to get in the high numbers to even make that matter as right. an adult, you know? Um, so it's all for personal reasons. And if, you know, we, we have gone down that path of, hey, we have this offer, I think like even last year or two years ago, we have this offer. Does everybody want to do it? Then, you know, I think la two years ago, everybody agreed. And then maybe a month later, someone is like, oh, I don't know. And it's just a lot of that. Um, and so I don't think it's out of the equation um, to have like the core group, the exact members would be much more difficult. Right. I think of that, that era, you know, there, like there was a lot of changes in Chiodos um, and uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I just love music and mm -hmm. I love, like I said earlier, the connection with the fans being able to sing. And I recognize that these are such special moments in all of our lives, you know, and to be able to have any impact or influence over that or be anything like that for people, I would never want to take that away from them. 
Do you know what I mean? And that's special. I don't take it for granted. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, um, there's a, you know, that over the past couple of years, there's been a massive resurgence in all of that. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that would be something that would actually make us not want to do it because we wouldn't want to be considered kind of just placating to a fad. Right. Um, you know, there's Chiodos is, you know, deep, uh, there's the original four of us all went to middle school, high school together. Like we have, like we're brothers, we have history. Yeah. You know? So, um, but we'll see what happens. You know, I, I'm always willing to listen. I still work Chiodos. I don't deny its existence. Uh, you know, I'm willing to talk about it anytime kind of thing. So. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I guess I've seen drugs a few times and you're not playing Chiodos in drugs, right? Or is that a thing? Is that like a stance you're taking? Like you're not going to do it or throw throw it in there? It's been talked about, but it drugs is its own thing. And I kind of want to just maintain the integrity of Chiodos by, you know, I'll play the song solo. I'll absolutely do that. So there are still opportunities for people to say it, but I wouldn't want to just like engulf the Chiodos catalog and start playing it out as drugs. It, that might be a little confusing. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a forever thing or if one day I'll be like, fuck it. But, <laughs> um, you know, as of right now, I'm kind of just maintaining that energy and building, you know, the, the drug side of things um, and releasing as much music as I can with, yeah. with drugs you kind of talked about that that era of music kind of being a, a fad almost and you i've seen you've been doing those emo nights here and there how how cool is it for you to kind of just show up to a place like that you know get up and do the do do a couple of chiodo songs and people are just there celebrating like an entire genre of music that that you know meant so much to so many people yeah it's 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 uncanny i i, I don't know how else to describe it it's so amazing what you know, specifically the, I work close with the Emo Night LA team and they, the, what they've done for the genre in creating a community where basically people can just show up, have some drinks, sing along with their best friends to songs that they all got down with, you know, when they were kind of growing up, it's like to create and provide an atmosphere like that. You know, I just, I just did an interview with Emo and I LA and we talk about it. Like at the end, I thank them because honestly they have reinvigorated a lot of old music and, and given life to music that shouldn't be dead. Uh, you right. know, what we create is forever. And um, they've been able to feed families and, and, and give jobs to my friends who are extremely talented and should be musicians, but maybe, uh, the pressures of life got to them and they couldn't couldn't handle it or the band dynamics got too complicated for them. So they just couldn't handle it emotionally or mentally and quit, you know. So I uh, I love the emo culture. I back it forever. Um, it changed my life. And, you know, from pre-band into band into post-bands um, and I'll forever be thankful for kind of that that uh, resurgence of that music, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm older than you, so it was like when I was a kid, kid, you know, we were listening to Metallica and Megadeth, but it was all 
demons and dragons and no feelings or whatever. And then corn comes along and then you've got, you know, you're starting to get your emotions in there and Chino comes along and Deftones and, you know, mm-hmm. you're starting and you're like, Oh, we can actually talk about our emotions and feelings. And then those early two thousands hit man. And it's just like, Oh, all we're all talking. About, <laughs> all we're talking about is emotions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That, I, and I love all of those, those bands, by the yeah. way, you know, I was, I was big in like, um, Corn, Slipknot, um, Limp Biscuit, that whole wave was so huge to me. I'm a massive like white zombie, Rob Zombie, oh, still yeah. like Rob Zombie's still in my top 10 favorite artists of all time. New music still slaps um, from all of those artists, honestly. Yeah. So um, they definitely, I think, fueled a lot of the um, that like that anger, right? That that like edginess that mm-hmm. I think we kind of adapted as is hardcore kind of smashed into emo and it, all these subgenres started popping off. I think there's something about that, that, that part of the country. I, I don't know if you're still in Michigan or not, but I mean like that part of the country growing up there, um, it must've been crazy because you'll see a, a tour routing of like a head PE or a seven dust or something like that. And then like once they hit Flint, they got to be there for like three days at the machine shop and then they can go back to, to, you know, the, their other shows. But once you get to, to the machine shop, you got to be there for a few days to, you know, uh, appease the masses. Yeah. Um, that's where I'm from is Flint, Michigan. And there's just an angst, you know, it's, it's a city that, um, has been forgotten about and abandoned in a lot of ways. And there's gotta be some sort of way to channel that anger and, um, there's a huge rock fan base as, as a result of it, you know, all, all of the subgenres of rock. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder what the machine shop does that maybe some clubs don't, that they don't maybe build a culture around coming to the show and making every show kind of an, an, an event or something, because like I said, I mean, those tours go all across the country and they play a lot of probably all the same venues, but when you get to this one spot in Michigan, you, you know, it's it's always sold out. And it's it's crazy how many times I, I follow the machine shop on Facebook and it's like always every show is always sold out. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what the cap is and I haven't been to the machine shop in a while. I kind yeah. of frequent in. I frequented a, uh, a venue called the Flint Local 432. That was our local DIY punk rock mm-hmm. club uh, yeah. that was like downtown Flint. And that's kind of like where we came up. We only played the machine shop. I think I've only played it maybe one time. Wow. Um, but I've been there numerous times. And um, honestly, it's just Flint, you know? It's, <laughs> it's, and it's it's a venue that's known and trusted for Northern Michigan. It's an hour north of Detroit. Um, there's, you know, there's high populations up there. And maybe someone feels more comfortable going to Flint than Detroit proper. Um and I think a lot of it probably has to do with um, the fact that it is in Flint, Michigan, and that businesses do not necessarily thrive in Flint, Michigan right. sometimes, you know, um, especially one that's so kind of have an ebb and flow like venues, like live music. It's it's really difficult to kind of maintain yeah. venues. You know, we saw it through the pandemic. We lost a ton of amazing venues that we all grew up loving. Right. Mm-hmm. Like even a place like CBGB's has like an mm-hmm. expiration date. Yeah. You know? So the fact that they've kept it alive and kept the brand going, I think has like helped them maintain their fan base and give the people of Northern Michigan an opportunity. I, I say Northern, but it's really just like here. As <laughs> there. Um, you know, they, it's given them a home for rock yeah. music. 
it's funny you're talking about being safe in Detroit because the the one time I played Harpo's, our tour manager came up to us and was just like, I know you like to go explore, not today. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so me being me, and this was 20 years ago, I was like, Well, I'm gonna just go for a walk. And I I walked like out the door, around the corner, turned around and went right back in. I was like, all right, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, they're making a lot of like different um, attempts at revitalizing the city. And, it, you know, I lived downtown. I lived in California for a few years and I moved back to Michigan and went downtown Detroit for a couple. And I was tired of my car getting broken into. So now I live more like in the woods outside of Detroit. Yeah. But they're they're doing a lot. And same in Flint, you know, is, is kind of a way to – revitalize the city and and kind of get more people comfortable with going down there and, and kind of building it back up. But um, it definitely is not known for um, its, its safety. Right. <laughs> definitely not either city, Flint or Detroit, to be honest. Right. Well, I think honestly, in, in a weird way, most major cities are, uh, are kind of going the wrong way with safety. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, let's, let's dive more back, uh, back into, uh, uh the new album destroy yeah. rebuild. The one thing that I, I fell down the rabbit hole last night of was, was the videos, man. It looks like you've had just a, a blast making all the videos for all the singles in this album. Yeah, it's been great. You know, I've always been a real visual guy and having the opportunity and, you know, velocity records, um, through, you know, and, and equal vision records, they both kind of worked this record and they've both been amazing. They're just like, yes, we can do it. What do you want to do? And then I just am allowed to do it, you know? And that's really exciting for me to be able to create visuals that kind of embody the aesthetic of what it is that we're trying to, you know, convey with this new record. And um, yeah. And and we're not done with videos for the new record. I think we've dropped maybe four, four or five, but there's, there's another one coming not in not too long. And, um, that might be the end, but I don't really know. We'll, we'll see in terms of like videos for the new record. Yeah. I think with the, uh, w- with the way the world is right now with, with the platforms that you can throw stuff out on YouTube and get tons and tons of views and everybody's, everybody's so visual now, you know, and it's like, that was, that was the one thing through the pandemic that, um, everybody kind of took to was, was being more, you know, two years, two or three years ago, this interview would have been a phone interview. Now it's, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles that we've got now. So we've all kind of put on a hat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's it's great. I I love the visual aspect of what we do. And I think it's like an opportunity to expand your creativity and expand the life of the songs and kind of open up the colors and the things that maybe you saw that, don't convey necessarily immediately upon listening to just the audio. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I'm all about videos. How, how tough is it, is it on you to continue to kind of write in that vein of, of, you know, showing your emotions and just, you know, uh, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve type stuff and just, just kind of continually going back to that. Well, you know, rather than like we talked earlier, like a Megadeth, they can write about a dragon if they want to, but you know, you're, you are always kind of coming from a, from, from the heart. And I mean, that's almost got to be tough to just kind of keep digging in that. Well, it sucks to feel them, (laughs) but I got to say that this drugs record was the easiest record I've ever written in my life. Um, There's something about just being kind of like subconscious with it. And 
Uh, I, I guess the, I guess I mean conscious, um, and letting your subconscious flow. Um, a lot of the drug stuff specifically is written around melodies. So I'm not sitting down and like pouring out my heart. A lot of it is like, I sing this line and these are the sounds and it sounds like this is what I want to say. So this is what I'm going to say. And then I won't even know what it's about until, I mean, sometimes a year later, you know, um, right. or until it's out and I'm like, holy shit, that's too real. You know, <laughs> like I hear it back, but feeling them sucks. Writing it is pretty easy because it gives me an outlet to just exist and just ex- it, communicate. Like I consider it communication so much more than I do emoting, you know, they may be like emotionally driven, but it's about communicating um, whatever it is that I subconsciously want to communicate and kind of giving a voice to my subconscious through consciousness. Right. That's why it's like <laughs> kind of weird um, because you just have to do it and be present in order for it to happen. But it really comes, it comes out real easy and, and just the communication of like, I'm going through this and this is what I feel. And this is kind of what's happening in my life and the validation of fans saying, holy shit, me too. Um, maybe this way and not this way, but thank you. You know, um, things like that, like that's, that's the biggest payoff for kind of the emotional thing. I, none of us have seen a dragon. <laughs> we can fantasize right um two quick things and I'll, I'll get you out of here man um i i had actually forgotten about the uh, the dr dre song um when i saw that when i originally saw that you were on a dr dre track i was like, super excited kind of bummed that you weren't more on the track but also it's it's a cra- you know crazy to see that you were in a on a uh, dr dre album so so kind of talk about how that came together yeah uh i've written with dre a bunch um about a half dozen maybe times now. Um, and we've done a few tracks together. Um, for this one in particular, um, he just called me up one night through our mutual friend's phone. I just get a call. I was like in my pajamas in Malibu at home. And <laughs> it was like 1 a.m. or something. And I'm an early to bed guy. So, um, but he... I picked up the phone and it was Dre and he was like, Craig, what are you doing? Come through to the studio. I was like, I'm in my pajamas. I got to get dressed. Give me a minute. He's like, it's not a fashion show. Just <laughs> well, I drove the 20 minutes, half an hour to the studio. And, um, the original track, it wasn't even until I got there that I realized, holy shit, this is for Dre's new record, you know, um, which ended up becoming the Compton soundtrack. Right. Um, but I showed up and there's, you know, just legends fill the room, just legends. And, um, you know, and thankfully I had worked with him numerous times before. So I kind of had a rapport and I wasn't quite as nervous. Um, but originally that track had a huge intro that I sang for it. And, um, I think it was just kind of how it like ebbed and flowed you know, that he kind of started, he just took a lot of the backup stuff I did Mm -hmm. like on singing on the track or like the original, just like the one shot, one kill thing for that song in particular. But there's a lot of unreleased music that I've done with Trey um, and stuff that we've written together um, 
that I hope sees the light of day. We'll, we'll see. But he just heard my voice one day and from a mutual friend and flew me out the next day. And we just started working together and that was it. Well, he, he does love those uh, Michigan boys. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I would love to hear some of the other unreleased Dr. Dre stuff you've done. Um, so yeah. So what, yeah, that was actually my next question. So he heard your voice, flew you out. And, uh, and just what's, what's the, the initial meeting with Dr. Dre like, like, I mean, the, I went to the studio the first day and I, he was in the other room tracking bass, making beats. Like he'll have like a bass player come in and just like fucking shred. And I didn't actually get to meet him that day. Um, but it was mostly me exhibit my friend, John and another guy. I can't remember his name. And we kind of just wrote for a day. And then the next day, um, was the big Dre day. And we started, uh, we just had a big group writing session. And, you know, when he first got me in the vocal booth, he pretty much just like broke me. Um, and, uh, that was kind of what happened. And then, uh, we went back to writing after that. And then he looked up at me again. I think I had a flight out at 7 AM or something to go back to New York where I was recording and we were in LA and yeah, it was like one or 2 AM. And he looked at me, he's like, you want to do this again? And so we set up the microphone in the room right next to him. And we sang until maybe 5 AM, 5:30 AM. And I had to rush to get my flight and, that was where I earned Dre's respect, I think. And that was where he was like, listen, I want to work with you again. This was great type beat. And um, yeah, and that was kind of the history. And, um, you know, I, you know, over the next few years was lucky enough to really have some great moments with him and got to watch the Compton movie with him, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. you know, there's always like a group of other people. It's not yeah, just yeah, yeah. holding hands or anything. No, sharing a popcorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, uh, life-changing to say the least. I grew up, obviously, Michigan, big Eminem fan. And, um, you know, I know some of the D12 guys. And this was like, this was a good uh, coming full circle thing for me. Oh, you yeah. know? And, it, and it meant a lot. And I don't know if I'll ever be nervous going into a room again, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think M is the only person I haven't met that I don't even know if I'd feel as nervous um, because Dre was, you know, he's, he's tall, he's big, he's intimidating, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Amazing, amazing experience. So, so the way, the way you're describing Dre is he's, he's working all the time, but obviously it doesn't put out a lot of output. So, I mean, what, where is all this stuff going that you know of? Is it just a vault kind of deal? And I think so. I think he just like, he just trusts his gut and he creates to create and like whatever he fucks with, he releases and whatever he doesn't, he doesn't. And, um, you know, you don't get sample tracks. You don't get the demo that you just recorded. So right. I don't have any of the music that we've done together. And I'm obviously not sneaking anything when I'm in there. So, you know, if, if, you know, the world gets to hear it again, the world gets to hear it again. And that would be, that would be great. Um, I'm sure he has a big master plan. Um, he's, you know, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I'm assuming that he'll definitely have 
a plan for all of this music and maybe it's not meant to see the world if you know he doesn't want it to be out there you go uh last uh kind of fanboy question um the song bulls make money the breakdown in that song with the the deep bass yeah and where you're singing about the sinking or whatever like that if if I ever I buy a new stereo system, like that's the that's the track I go to just to see if that's it can handle that track. What is that? It's synth bass. Yeah. Well, talk about that part because it just every time it comes on, it's just like the 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 lyrical content. You're screaming, just that bass, just everything about that. Like that's almost that bass that like if you play it to the wrong person, might make them like you know actually go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like I that. love that song. That that song in particular was just an exciting one for us to make it kind of has this like dancey almost um uh i don't know just like the <laughs> chords and everything are so exciting and um you know we were like heavily influenced by mars volta coming up so nice. that was kind of a little nod but then that chorus hits and it's just oomph. um but i remember like when that you know when the synth bass was kind of added to that song and we were in you know going back to dre that's an influence right so we were all just like oh this is so <laughs> sick it was just one of those moments in the studio that was special you know absolutely man well uh, what's the uh, what's the, the the current plans for drugs at this point what's what's coming up next so we're going out on ship coming up in nice. january um, which I'm stoked for. I've never done a cruise like that. A bunch of really talented musicians that I'm excited to see um, and that I haven't gotten to see. Um, so I'm really stoked about that. Um, then we are about to announce a couple tours here later this month that are going to pop off for early next year. Um, and yeah, I'll be going in the studio again here in a couple months doing um some solo stuff and kind of building that catalog out and um yeah just creation man just creation you know new drugs video coming soon um lots of exciting stuff happening and i'm exhausted but i love the work and i love the opportunity and i'm grateful to be able to work you know so yeah lots of lots of drugs and lots of lots of my stuff coming soon so Nice. The, uh, one thing we we did talked about emo night. Um, have you done anything with Matt Cutshaw with the emos not dead? I I I know he's. I don't know if he's done Chiodos or drugs yet or not. It's coming. Okay, there it's we go. Coming. It's coming. When when are we airing this? Uh, this will be two weeks. It's out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's out. Um, yeah, working with Matt. I flew and worked with Matt last weekend. Okay. And. It was amazing. Nice. Uh, he has, man, when he put that wig on, <laughs> magic. I'm telling yeah. you, magic. Not just right. like a funny friend rocking a wig. Yeah. Like come to life, magic. He's a true professional. Everyone around him were true professionals. We did this amazing, amazing um, video that, uh, you know, was really exciting to me. You know, I, I love to act. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I love to do. And it comes from, you know, I think doing musicals and stuff growing up. And I really got an opportunity to do it. And I, you'll, you'll see it's, it's, it was one of the funniest, best days of my life. So I think everybody's going to be really stoked on it. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait for that, man. He, he, every time he puts out a new video, it's like must see TV, like stop what you're doing. Yep. See what Matt's up to, man. Yeah. And this one coming 
um, they're trying to like one up every time. Mm-hmm. So what we did with this was just insane. Um, so yeah, you'll have to see. It's great. Can't wait. Can't wait, man. Well, Craig Owens, man, this has been a blast. You know, my, my, the, the two episodes that'll be out, it's uh Skid Row, Dave Snake Sabo from Skid Row, and then you. And I think I can quit now. This is seven years yeah. into the show. I think yeah. I, I think I've I've hit everybody I need to talk to, man. Man, I appreciate <laughs> you. Thank you for the kind words and thanks for having me. And honestly, anytime you want to connect about anything, I love to talk music, talk shop, whatever. Um, I'm back doing interviews and stuff now. So uh, just hit me up. Yeah, man, absolutely. The Talk To Me Podcast, presented by NotFest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me Podcast.